Lord, thank you for your word. I pray that you would speak to us through your word. It is all your inspired word. I pray that you would help us to learn and gleam from the truth that you've revealed. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to encourage you, keep on keeping on. It's a smaller amount of people. Hang in there. Remember I tried to give you, you know, a little coaching encouragement before we began. <clears throat> so don't, don't grow weary. Uh, there was a little girl, a precocious 10-year-old, who asked her grandmother, Grandma, how old are you? Well, honey, when you get my age, you don't really share your age with people. No, please, I won't tell. No, it's my secret. Well, about 20 minutes passed, and the little girl bounced in and said, You're 62, and you weigh 140 pounds. <laughs> the surprised grandmother said, How in the world do you know that? She said, Well, it's easy. I looked at your driver's license on the table and did the math, and I also saw you got an F in sex. Oh, <clears throat> uh, yeah. Well, from early childhood, we all know what it's like to be treated unfairly, unjustly, to be lied about, whether it's at school, a sibling, whatever. And as we grow into adulthood, we see it happen again. We watch it in the lives of our children as they suffer from the pain from that and grandchildren. It's because we live in a world of unfairness and injustice that will only be corrected when Jesus comes to rule, finally, in the millennial kingdom. So these evil practices may be the norm in our culture, but from God's perspective, they are vile sins against his nature. God makes it clear through his prophet Zechariah here that God hates falsehood, and he hates the hearts that devise evil plans and lies. Paul reminds us in Ephesians that as believers, we're to speak the truth in love and to not have any falsehood or deception in our lives. So we saw last week that a delegation had come from Bethel uh, to question whether they had to continue on with these fasts and all these different months to, regard, to remember the destruction of the temple and the walls and so on. And as you recall, Zechariah used their questions to remind them of God's dealings with them and their discipline, his discipline of their forefathers, uh, who may have kept traditions, but their hearts were far from him. And remember, he questioned their motives in their fasting anyway. Uh, they were warned that they must repent of their own sins so that the same judgment would not come upon the remnant who had come back from Babylon as that had happened to their forefathers. And as we begin this new chapter, the focus turns really away from God's discipline in the past of Israel, and the focus is on a future hope. One day there's going to be restoration, there's going to be peace, there's going to be prosperity in the land. So instead of feasting, there's going to be joyful uh, instead of uh, fasting, there will be joyful feasting. And the phrase, the Lord of hosts, do you notice it was used like 18 times in this chapter? A great assurance that the God of Israel, who has all the armies of heaven at his disposal, will keep all of his promises. The real emphasis then in chapter 7 and in our study this week is to impress upon these people <clears throat> their need to live righteously in response to the past judgments and in response to their future glory. I mean, it's really the same thing we see in the New Testament. You know, walk worthy, recalling, live in light of, of who you are and your future. So the glorious restoration of Israel is seen and it begins with God's zeal for his people. <clears throat> then the word of the Lord of hosts came, I am exceedingly jealous for, Z for Zion. Yes, with great wrath, I am jealous for her. 
This is a continuation of Zechariah's message, as I said, answering the delegates' questions about fasting. And here it's very clear, this is divine revelation from God that Zechariah is telling them. It's coming directly from the Lord of hosts. This expression of God being jealous or zealous for Zion is the strongest of language. It expresses the great depth and intensity of God's passionate love for his people, Israel. This intense love will tolerate no rivals. That's what God made very clear in Exodus 34. And it's really similar in a way to a husband who claims that his wife is his exclusively. If a husband isn't jealous about his wife, it shows he really doesn't care that much for her. A husband is to love his wife, sharing her with no one else. God has a righteous jealousy that causes him to come to Israel's defense to wage war on those who go against his people or against his purposes or plans for his people. Zion is the mountain that ancient Jerusalem was built on and thus it became another name for the city. Jerusalem, city of David, Zion. And what is the future of Zion? trying out a new mouthpiece, not good for clearing the throat, sorry. Um, Thus says the Lord, I will return to Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Then Jerusalem will be called the city of truth and the mountain of the Lord of hosts will be called the holy mountain. Thus says the Lord of hosts, old men and old women will again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each man with his staff in his hand because of his age. Um, Walking canes are nothing new. They may be prettier. And the streets of the city will be filled with boys and girls playing in the streets. Lord, the Lord of hosts, thus says the Lord of hosts, it is, if it is too difficult in the sight of the remnant of this people in those days, will it also be too difficult in my sight, declares the Lord of hosts. Thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, I am going to save my people from the land of the east, from the land of the west. I'll bring them back. They will live in the midst of Jerusalem. They shall be my people and I will be their God in truth and righteousness. One day, the Lord will return and he will dwell in Jerusalem. And he will settle down in Jerusalem and it'll be his political and spiritual capital as he rules the entire world from Jerusalem. So instead of Jerusalem being a place of conflict as we see it in the news continually, Jerusalem will be a a city of peace. After all, it is Jerusalem, shalom, shalom, peace, because it will be the city of truth. This will be only possible because of the Messiah who will rule. And I remind you of Jesus, the Messiah's words in John 14, 6. You all know it. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So Zion will be the holy mountain because there will be the holy king dwelling there, making it a city of truth. And because of his rule, there will be peace and safety and security for everybody. The aged, as well as the young, will be able to sit and observe and play without any fear. Isaiah 65, 20 speaks specifically of this time. No longer will there be an infant who lives but a few days. Or an old man who does not live out his days. For the youth will die at the age of 100. And the one who does not reach the age of 100 will be thought accursed. So it'll be totally different in length of days and life in the millennial kingdom. We see long life and security will be their reality as Jesus rules from his throne in Jerusalem. Can you imagine how completely all of this had to sound to this little remnant group that Zechariah was talking to? Dwelling undisturbed in complete and utter tranquility and peace? How could such a thing really ever be 
a reality in Jerusalem. Verse 6 just reminds us, is any of this too difficult? Is it insurmountable, insurmountable for God? For the generation Zechariah was speaking to, as well as every future generation, it may seem that it's impossible. But at the end of the great tribulation, the Jewish people will be restored. God will call them his own. But how many of us are just like this, verse 6, and fall into that small kind of faith? as we live and we don't really believe all that God has promised when I mean, we do in our heads but not in our practice of how we live out our daily life there is nothing too difficult for the Lord of hosts that's fact there is no temptation that can overtake you that God hasn't made a way of escape God is working every situation for his purpose and for our good his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. And on and on and on go the promises of God. And we are to believe them and trust them and trust him who's made these promises to us and live today in light of their reality. In Isaiah 11 and Matthew 24 and here in Zechariah 8, we read with clarity that there is coming a day when Israel will be restored to the Lord and he will again call them my people. The Lord of hosts has the divine authority to assure that this ultimate day of deliverance will happen and there is nothing too difficult for God. Verses 7 and 8, Israel will be regathered from the countries of the east and west. We certainly have seen this in the last uh, century coming bringing it closer and closer to the uh, fulfillment of all this. They came from every direction around the earth. But it is God who is faithful to keep his promises, and indeed he will do so, as we've seen in this passage. He will regather people because he is faithful and righteous. God is the covenant-keeping God, regardless of men's unfaithfulness. The day of restoration will come, and he will be their God in truth and in righteousness. That will be realized finally. Israel will be renewed. Thus says the Lord of hosts, let your hands be strong. You who are listening in these days to these words from the mouth of the prophets, those who spoke in the day that the foundation of the house of the Lord of hosts was laid to the end that the temple might be built. For before those days, there was no wage for a man or a wage for an animal. And for him who went out or came in, there was no peace because of his enemies. And I set all men one against the other, but I will not treat the remnant of this people as in former days, declares the Lord. So through the prophet Haggai and through Zechariah, the Lord had encouraged the remnant to start and to continue and to finish rebuilding the temple that they had begun. They have just heard about their glorious future that is awaiting them. So they're to renew their commitment and finish the task at hand. That's why he says, let your hands be strong. Encourage them, keep doing the work. We are told in verse 10 why the temple work had stopped. There were no wages available. There was no peace. You recall from studying Ezra and or Nehemiah, there was continual civil and political strife, and there was discontent and problems within the community of the Jewish people and from without. <clears throat> that may have been the case in the past, but a new day has dawned. I will not treat the remnant of this people as in former days. For there will be a peace for the seed. The vine will yield its fruit. The land will yield its produce. The heavens will give their due. And I will cause the remnant of this people to inherit these things. So their deliverance and return is clearly the result of the grace of God. But prosperity in the land, uh, both in the present at Zechariah's day and in the future, 
uh, is related to obedience directly. The, the message is for the present in Zechariah's day as well as um, for the future. In the past, God has disciplined disobedient people, but the nation will experience his favor and his blessing as they obey. The nation will sow its seeds in time of peace, and God will cause heavy dew so that there will be abundance of fruit in the land. This promise, as I said, is to the remnant, but it has its fulfillment, really its greater fulfillment in the millennial kingdom. And it'll come about that just as you were a curse among the nations, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so I will save you that you may become a blessing. Do not fear. Let your hands be strong. So in the past, Israel was cursed because of their breaking God's commandments and practicing idolatry continually. But the day will come when God will reverse that curse and he will deliver Israel physically, spiritually, and in every way and make them a blessing among all the nations of the earth, which is what he said in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3 to Abraham in the first place. All of these amazing promises should be a, a source of great comfort and calm to Zechariah's audience as they go through hardships. They can face the future with courage. They don't have to be afraid. You know, I mean, if we all knew the end of the story with whatever trial you're facing today and how it was going to end up, it wouldn't be a lot easier, you know? And if you knew how it all turned out for good already, it'd be a lot easier to press on. But this is the reality. We have an amazing future. We have blessings unbelievable and right now we're walking through and we have to keep walking through and not be afraid because the plans God has for the future the Jewish people here are to keep diligent in their efforts and to trust God for the outcome you have to do what you're supposed to do today such a great reminder because it applies to us in principle to every believer here if you've come to faith in Jesus, trusting him for the forgiveness of your sins, that the payment he made on the cross was for you personally, then you have been forgiven and you have this incredible hope of a future. Paul wrote to us, uh, since you have been raised up, he wrote to the Colossians, since you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. The trials in our lives here are so temporary. This is not our forever. Aren't we glad of that? Peter reminds us uh, and all of us that those who have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead will obtain an inheritance, imperishable, undefiled, that will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through a faith and a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. This is our future. It is solid. It is rock solid. It is forever. So let us run with endurance, as Hebrews tells us, the race that's set before us, because our eyes are fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. There is a finish line. We will each cross the finish line, and we will be in his presence forever. And we will be a part of this glorious future that has been promised to Israel And the kingdom promised to them, we will be involved, we'll be a part of the glories in heaven. They needed to stay strong and keep doing the work and not forget about their future promises and hope. And we need to do the same. Then we read, learn from the past so that you prepare for the future. For thus says the Lord of hosts, just as I purposed to do harm to to you when your fathers provoked me to wrath, says the Lord of hosts, and I have not relented. 
So I have again purposed in these days to do good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Do not fear. These are the things which you should do. Speak the truth to one another. Judge with truth and judgment for peace in your gates. Also, let none of you devise evil in your hearts against one another. And do not love perjury, for all these are what I hate, declares the Lord. And the plans and then the purposes of God... His divine purpose was to destroy the forefathers of Israel who were disobedient. But it is also in his plans to bless Jerusalem and his people and this blessed promise that awaits them. It is in light of these promises that Israel was called to be spiritually and morally obedient to what God has commanded them. They are to practice obedience because that's what gives evidence that you're right in your relationship with God. First, they are to speak the truth to their neighbor. People who are honest and do not lie give an indication that they're in a right relationship with God. Jerusalem will one day, as I remind you, be a city of truth. When those who live there are all truthful, where truthful judgments will be had in the courts. The gates or places of judgment are to be places for justice and peace and for truth. This will not be a complete reality until the Prince of Peace and the God of Truth reigns from Jerusalem. There is to be no wickedness planned in our hearts and minds against somebody who's done something to us and no false oath. There is to be no perjury in any court of law. The point being, God hates all these sins. And you and I mean, let's face it, you and I hate if we're the victim of being lied about or being unjustly treated. We hate that. Can you imagine how much more a perfectly holy God is offended by this, this vile sin? As I've said before, God's moral law never changes. What he calls sin and evil is a fact. Cultures and peoples may excuse certain behavior, rename it. I mean, our culture is characterized. Lying is the lifestyle. Lie because we don't want to hurt people. Lie because it's convenient. Lie because we don't want to get in trouble. I mean, that is the way of our culture and behavior. That is the norm. But the holy standards of God never change. Our faith is to be lived out by our deeds. So we cannot claim that we love God and at the same time hate people. We cannot claim to follow the Lord and yet be deceptive to him or to ourselves about our own behavior. Our life is to match our calling. That's what Paul tells us, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. And then the final word about these fasts. Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, the fast in the fourth, fifth, seventh, and ten months will be joy, gladness, and cheerful feasts for the house of Judah. So love, truth, and peace. So now additional fasts are mentioned that even weren't brought up by the delegates in the answer to the question of those extra fasts, all of them self-imposed, all of them observed with heavy hearts for many, many decades. And some still observe these fasts today. But with the return of the remnant, a new day had dawned, and they were to replace the fast with cheerful feast of God's faithfulness and bringing them back. And this will be the experience that will come in fulfillment, really, when the Messiah reigns in the millennial kingdom. The future blessing of God through his grace and faithfulness should cause these people to be characterized by love, loving truth, and loving peace. Instead of focusing on what calamity should be remembered, their focus should be on loving truth and peace. There should no lo- they should also be have a, having an eager anticipation of the joy of feasting that is yet to come. And the effect will impact the Gentile world. 
as says the Lord of hosts, it will be that peoples will come, even the inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants will go, uh, will go to one another saying, let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I will go. So many people and mighty nations will come and seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days, 10 men from all nations will grasp the garment of a Jew saying, let us go with you. For we have heard that God is with you. The impact of Israel's restoration and spiritual renewal will infect, affect and impact the entire world. I had to think about this and everybody I read about this wasn't thinking about this with me. But I don't know if you had these thoughts. <clears throat> Who are all these people grabbing on the clothes of the, Gentile, of, of the Jewish people? Well, they're Gentiles from cities making, around the world making a pilgrimage to Jerusalem at the end of the tribulation, at the beginning of the millennial kingdom, to come and worship the Lord. These are the survivors of the great tribulation who did not take the mark of the beast. Remember, there was a judgment of the sheep and the goats, and the goats were sent off to eternal destruction, and the, the sheep were sent on into the millennial kingdom. So there will be Gentiles who survive the tribulation, who believe in Jesus, and they are the ones coming and wanting to go to Jerusalem and worship the God of the Jews. These believers in the God of Israel will come from around the world and they'll want to learn from the Jewish people. They'll be grabbing on their clothes. Tell me, teach me. I didn't know. They will come to Jerusalem and be taught about the Lord. Both Jew and Gentile will be filled with joy in the reign of the Lord who made all this redemption possible. People will realize that the one true God they have embraced is the God of the Jews. What they have sought for throughout human history will at last have been found. And the role of Israel will be kingdom of priests and it will finally come to pass. So, how does this chapter impact us today? What can we take away? Well, first of all, are you, one of, are you someone whose life is characterized by telling the truth? And, you know, it's so easy to exaggerate. It's so easy to not give complete facts to be deceptive. Do you love truth? Do you love peace? I encourage you to beware of being sucked into conflicts with people where nothing but lies abound, abound and you can't even sort out the garbage. Secondly, do you think about ways to get back at people who have hurt or wounded you? Obviously, this is in the deep recesses of your heart that you'd share with no one. <clears throat> but the Lord knows there is to be no devising of any evil plans, even if it, the plan is just to no longer speak to them. That is never to be in our hearts. God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Entrust yourself to the judge of all the earth who will set everything straight one day. It is not your job. Thirdly, do you view anything in your world, in your set of circumstances, in your health, in your crises that's too difficult for God, like we read about in verse 6 of our chapter? He has every resource at his disposal. He has all power, all sovereign control over every person in your life, over every circumstance and event in your life, even the people who are doing everything wrong. <clears throat> are you someone who is of small faith or little faith, like Jesus said, oh, you of little faith? I encourage you to get your focus off of the difficult people or set of circumstances that you find yourself living in and instead put your focus on the Lord of hosts and trust him who is able to accomplish his plan for your life. And also, fourthly, live today, right now, today, when you leave here right now, 
in light of your future. If you know Christ personally, then you know how things are going to turn out at the end. It's not a mystery. We're studying it, okay? So you have assurance, as Ephesians 1 says, that God has lavished his love on you according, not just out of, but according to his riches of his grace. So lay up treasure today. Lay up your treasure in heaven as you walk through your life today with all of its pain because you know what? This is a temporary. This is short-lived. Let us be women of big faith, strong faith, who trust God in the midst of the impossible. May each of us not be, oh, you of little faith, like Jesus questioned, but rather she of mighty faith. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for each lady here. I thank you for truth from your word. Lord, I, we can't even imagine what it was like for the remnant that Zechariah was addressing that we've read about. But we thank you that you've chosen to reveal to them and in turn to us how things are going to be in the future. And Lord, when we are being weighed down in our present, I pray you'll give us the courage and the faith to focus on our future and to live in light of that reality where everything will be perfect and just and pure and beautiful and lovely and painless and tearless. I pray that we will live today in obedience and that we would love truth and preach truth to ourselves and we would love peace and be peacemakers. In Jesus' name, amen.